Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. Hello, everyone. This is Shannon, and I am here tonight with Sarah, Stacy, Nika, Kristen, Melissa, and Natalia. And today we are helping get you ready for Valentine's Day. So each of us has two books, only two, I know. And we are going to talk to you about these two, which are some of our very favorite romances. So I'm going to start us off, followed by Stacy, Mika, Kristen, Sarah, Melissa, and lastly, Natalia. You can find us on Facebook by searching for the Book Bistro podcast. Once there, you can post to our timeline. You can also message us privately. If you want a more social interaction, you can join our Facebook listener group, which is pretty quiet at the moment, though we are looking at some ways of possibly revamping it. If Facebook is not your thing and you still would like to hang out with us, check us out on our WhatsApp group. You can subscribe to that either by messaging us through Facebook or by sending us an email and one of us will be happy to add you. If you're looking to get a hold of us via email, you can do that by contacting the book bistro podcast at gmail.com. So I'm going to be the first to say that picking books for this episode was challenging because Amen. as we all know, there are so many great romances out there and to say like this is my favorite out of all of them is just a really difficult thing to do so what I decided to do was to pick things that I've read semi-recently that have kind of reawakened my love for certain things about romance and so the first book that I want to talk about is The Marriage Game by Sarah Desai and this is the first in a, what looks to be a trilogy. Um, I was hoping that there would be more books coming out in this series, but right now it's just the three um, in the Marriage Game series. And these are just wonderful contemporary romances set in the San Francisco area. And they feature an Indian American family finding love. So Layla is our heroine in the marriage game and she has returned home after her life has fallen apart and she has decided that she's going to start a new business now that she's back in san francisco but starting this business is really challenging for layla because she doesn't have a clear idea really of like what her business is supposed to be and so obviously you know that sets up all sorts of obstacles for her but one thing she knows for sure, and that is that she is going to set this business up in the space above her family's restaurant. 
And her father, who owns this building, is really okay with that. Like Layla has always been sort of, you know, his golden child. And he just wants things to go well for her. Now, his idea of things going well doesn't necessarily match Layla's because he has decided that part of what needs to happen for her is that she needs to get married. And so he has set up a series of dates for her with a group of men that he thinks will make the best suitors. And I'm simplifying all the reasons for this in this um, explanation just because I feel like part of what makes this book so charming is kind of the the stuff that you learn about Leela's relationship with her family and that whole dynamic as you read. So I don't want to give too much away about how and why these things happen. So we also have Sam. And Sam is a very orderly kind of uptight man when you first meet him. And he is helping businesses. He says he's helping them by basically getting rid of people that aren't carrying their weight, according to him. And so he puts businesses kind of, you know, out of business um, because he thinks that this is kind of the best thing to do. It's a, it's a way of, I don't know, like calling the, I'm trying to think of a good word, um, basically like weeding out people and businesses that aren't doing what he thinks they need to be doing. And he has rented the space above Layla's family's restaurant. Now, how can this be? Have they both rented it? Well, you'll have to read to find out. But what they finally decide is that they will share the office space. So now our orderly, you know, very precise Sam is dealing with Layla and all of these suitors who are coming up to this office, you know, to meet her and to take her out on dates. And all of this just drives him up the wall. Now, the two of them have kind of a contentious relationship at first, but as we know in romance, things do not stay contentious for long. And soon they realize that they have feelings for one another. But there's so much that each of them has to navigate before they're ready and able to really fall for one another. I love this book and this series so much, partly because of all of the supporting characters that we see and follow throughout the series, but mostly just because of who Sam and Layla are and how at first it seems like they just can't find common ground. But as they get to know each other and time passes, you see that the things that set them apart are actually the things that complement each other the best. So this one is just incredible. If you haven't picked it up, I highly recommend it. And it is The Marriage Game by Sarah Desai. I also want to talk to you about the Painted Bay series by Jay Hogan. And this is also a three-book series, and sadly, it is done now. Um, I don't think she's writing in it any longer. So there are only three books, and I read them within the space of a couple of months. They are set in a small town in New Zealand called Painted Bay. And 
these are male-male romances featuring men who, at their core, are looking for new starts. And so we have Judah, who is a ballet dancer who was diagnosed with Meniere's disease and is looking for a way to kind of match his love of dance with his new life circumstances. And he falls in love with a man named Morgan who works for the Fish and Wildlife Department. And the two of them are just one of my very, very favorite couples in romance. Um, I could tell you more about like who the other couples in the series are, but if I do, I'm going to give away things that I really shouldn't give away. Um, the first book in the series is called Off Balance, and I love it for its disability representation. Um, Meniere's disease is not something that we we see a lot in in romance, really in fiction, um, in just as a whole. But I think that Hogan does such a great job of showing the ways in which disability affects us in like ways that are large and in ways that are small. You know, some things sweep over us and totally change our lives. And you can see, you know, kind of the, the far-reaching impacts of this. But rarely, I think, do authors really show us like the day-to-day -day things that are changed by disability and the ways in which people are constantly adapting to make those changes kind of, you know, less odious for lack of a better word. Um, and here we see Judah really struggling to find his place in a world that he feels has wronged him in some really, really deep ways. And this is a theme that carries through all of the books, um, not just for Judah, but for the other characters as well. And yet, as you read these, you don't feel like the characters are just, you know, full of, of angst and self-pity. You're really able to identify with what they're going through. And even if you don't love all the choices that they make, and I know that, you know, certain characters here were harder for me to relate to than others, but you're able to at least understand where people are coming from. And I think that is just an incredible part of this series that you don't have to fully love or embrace everything about a person to find them worthy of love and acceptance and to ultimately like be cheering them on even if at the start of the book you didn't necessarily know if this was a character that you could root for. I definitely want to read more of Jay Hogan's work. I've heard that the other stuff that she has um, doesn't quite have the same vibe as Painted Bay. And apparently one of my cats is very, very sad about this, um, as am I. But I really fell in love with this series. And so I do want to check out the rest of her stuff. So this is the Painted Bay series. And it consists of Off Balance, On Board, and In Step. And it is by Jay Hogan. So friends, I'm not going to lie. I'm struggling I was struggling before the episode started, and when Shannon started talking, I started thinking of all these other amazing romances I've read, and 
I've decided I have to be true to what my thoughts were, but you know, <clears throat> we always call Shannon like this gentle, lovely leader who's very kind and compassionate and fair. And I'm feeling a little tortured this evening that I can only share two books with you. Um, and I really racked my brain for like how to be fair to my most beloved genre. And like, what should I talk about? Because there's so many things there's, you know, disability representation, which I'm very passionate about and reading diversely, which I'm very passionate about. But at the end of the day, I decided I had to talk about books that really, um, like yanked at my heart and made me like years later still want to read them. So my first book of the evening came out in 1997 and I can still see where I was sitting when I read it as a college student. And I mean, I'm still a college student. I'm really young. Like I'm like 23, but somehow I was 23 like back then too. So um, <clears throat> it came out 25 years ago and it's called, I've talked about it once or twice on this podcast, but it's been a while. It's called The Night Remembers and it's by Kathleen Eagle. And this book to me is like the quintessential romance. Like I feel like it, like it perfectly embodies everything that I want in a romance. So I'm going to tell you what the things that I want are. And then I'm going to tell you about this amazing book. So like when I read a romance, I want like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm so silly, but I really like a dark and mysterious hero who we don't know much about at first. We don't get a lot. And, you know, there's like something in, in his past that's very torturing and very um, that he's trying to kind of overcome. And then we have a heroine who has to learn how to believe in herself before the end of the book and, and kind of develop confidence in herself and her community, in friends that she makes, and who learns how to use her voice. And this book had all that. It had a beautiful sort of slow burning, slow building romance which I also really love. I mean, I love a good book where the characters bang in chapter two every once in a while, but I really love a book where feelings build over time. And this book is about Angela and Angela is living alone in Minneapolis. She has like fled her, um, for, uh, fled from a situation with an ex-boyfriend -boy, ex across the country and she's trying to hide. And so she's really living under the radar in Minneapolis in the late nineties. And even though she, um, like her, she's very passionate about being a teacher. She is working in sort of like, um, she's looking for jobs at the beginning of the book and has decided she'll be like a, a waitress and like a, like a greasy spoon diner, um, because she can kind of stay under the radar there. And while she's kind of looking through like help wanted ads with her little dog sitting beside her on a park bench, she meets a young boy who's about 12 and his name is Tommy T and um, they begin to sort of forge this friendship and he kind of loves her dog and they start chatting and he's just this very clever, um, very confident boy who is very lively and quick. And she just really is drawn to him immediately. And so he tells her about um, a job as a server at this, like close by kind of diner place and she gets the job. Well, fast forward a little while and she's working um, an evening shift at the diner. And as she's leaving the diner, she walks into a situation that she was not prepared for and ends up getting beaten up by a group of young adult males. 
And Tommy T sees this and decides that there's only one person who can help her. And it is, um, in his mind, a man who like embodies um, a comic book hero that he has drawn. And he goes to a hole in the ground by the riverbank. Just stay with me. Stay with me. This is a contemporary romance. It doesn't go like fantasy or anything. And he starts talking to this man and begging for his help to get Angela home safely because she's been beaten up and she's passed out. So this mystery man, all we know is like legit, like is like in a hole, like in the riverbank comes and helps get Angela safely um, patched up a little bit. She, she can't go to the hospital because it'd be a way that her ex-boyfriend could track her down. And so he takes her to his little place by the river and heals her um, with some help from some medications and things. And he never lets her see his face while he is caring for her, which of course I'm like a phantom of the opera person. So I'm like, Ooh, I love this like mysterious man, like hiding his face. So, you know, as things progress, um, Angela is living in this sort of like rundown apartment house that is like an old house has been converted and things keep going wrong. And once she's sort of begun the healing process from being attacked, the sort of handyman of um, the neighborhood comes and starts like making some repairs to her apartment. And Tommy T comes back over to take care of her as well and to visit and to check in and to also ask her if perhaps maybe he could store his comic books in her home. And it could maybe like some of his mail be sent to her house because school's about to start. Angela is suspicious of this, but decides to allow Tommy T to sort of like kind of stay with her for a few days. And at the same time, you know, this um, <clears throat> handyman named Jesse Brownwolf has kind of gone above and beyond sort of everything that she's expected of her handyman. And he's like repairing all these issues that she's had in her apartment since the day she moved in. And through his presence in her life, she meets her downstairs neighbor, who's a, a foster parent and all the children that she has and through Jesse Brown Wolf, she meets other people in the neighborhood and they all begin kind of looking out for each other in this sort of rundown neighborhood in Minneapolis. And, you know, the story, so there's, there's Jesse Brown Wolf who we see by day and then there's this mysterious man by night. And, you know, by night he's out doing his best to make sure that the streets are safe for kids and women. And he is doing his best to keep everyone safe while being tortured by a pretty big incident in his past and, you know, kind of getting more and more involved with Angela kind of in this very mysterious way. And all of these people, the foster mom and her kids and Angela and Jesse Brownwolf and this mysterious man and Tommy T, they sort of form this beautiful found family that is like the most lovely thing I've ever seen in the history of my life. And through the connections that Angela is making in her new city, she learns about herself, how to kind of discover her voice, how to find confidence, how to have faith in other people and her own abilities. And by the end of the book, she is a really lovely kick-ass chick. And that is like the evolution that she goes through is a really powerful part of the book for me. And it's a gorgeous romance that I'm not going to tell you any more about. So 
I don't know how this book has held up over time. Um, it came out in 1997. Um, so, but I, I still read this book probably once every year or two, because it's like a hug from your favorite person and a hot cup of nice chai tea and, or a, a hot cup of chai and, um, a warm blanket during a snowstorm. It's like all the comforting, lovely, perfect things for me. So then this again is The Night Remembers by Kathleen Eagle. Now let's like move to a more contemporary, contemporary romance. Um, and this book I read a couple years ago and I've probably read it five or six times actually, which is not common for me. I don't reread a bunch of books. And I'm including this book because again, it has a lot of the elements that I love in a romance. Um, it's a little bit epistolary in nature, but not quite. It's sort of like modern day epistolary, if you will. So this book is um, Hidden Miles, and it's the Miles Family Book Four by Claire Kingsley. And this book is about Leo, and Leo is a veteran who returned home um, after being pretty gravely wounded. He has some um, significant scarring and PTSD, and really um, for the last five or so years has not left his family's winery in um, Washington state. He just, he feels more comfortable staying on the land. He has pretty significant PTSD and some agoraphobia and other anxiety. And so um, he helps with the family's security um, at the winery. And basically the only thing that he's found that kind of helps him get through um, his kind of lonely, quiet days is his online gaming, where he met a really wonderful friend. And they only see each other through avatars and they speak over microphones, but they've never actually met each other. They don't know each other's names. So he's talking to this woman whose name in real life is Hannah. And he and Hannah have this really beautiful friendship where they talk about anything and everything through the anonymity of um, their online gaming platform. And her presence and kindness and sense of humor has done wonderful things for Leo. And she really enjoys his quiet strength and sort of shy sense of humor. Right there, like that is my catnip right there, guys. Like everyone, like I love books like that where it's not quite epistolary, but it kind of has that feel like two people get to know each other on the strength of who they are rather than what they look like or what they do, what their, um, you know, past have to say about them. Like they just get to know each other on this very sort of visceral level. Well, one day when Leo um, is over near the main building of the winery, he is shocked to hear his friend's voice among um, a wedding party that is here. And it kind of shakes him to his core because now he knows who she is. He's seen her. He knows who she is. And he thinks that maybe, just maybe, she saw him too for a hot second. And he skedaddled out of there pretty quick. And later when they're talking online, how strange is it when Hannah starts telling her friend online about the very quick glimpse she got of this very intriguing man when she was at a wedding. And Leo is feeling some sort of way about this. Now, Hannah is living not too far away from the winery and going through some pretty significant trouble in her personal life 
she's living with a boyfriend that is getting more violent by the day. And she just feels like she's pretty trapped in a situation that she inadvertently sort of got tangled up in over time. And she doesn't know how to kind of get away from him and the things that he's done to her. Until one day when she's able to get away and she goes back to the winery where she caught a glimpse of this man. And through a series of events, she and Leo actually meet each other in person and he invites her to kind of stay at the winery while she kind of gets her life back together. And, you know, this book is just, it's very lovely. It's about two people who are both um, kind of feeling sort of underconfident in themselves, in their current situations, and how through the help of his wonderful family and support that of the friends that she's just made, um, these two kind of damaged people slowly come together and begin to trust in each other in real life and trust in the romance that they are slowly tentatively building. And this book is everything ever that you could ever want in a romance. And I love it so much. And that's all I'm going to say about it because I don't want to spoil everything. But this again is Hidden Miles and it's The Miles Family Book Four by Claire Kingsley. I have read the first two in this series and I need to move on to three and then this one. Well, I don't need to tell talk to you more the, about the series because I'm ready. I'll happily tell I think, you. I think my soul is ready. <laughs> it's it's a lovely series. It's a good family, small town, winery, yes. Washington. It's There's a lot to love about it. Um, full disclosure, I did not read this series in order. Don't tell Natalia. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to get to this book particularly and so I read out of order, but this series is best read in order um, because there is a um, a family issue that kind of comes to light earlier in the series and is sort of um, kind of culminates in Leo's book, which is the final book of the series before the novella. So Shannon said that it was really hard to choose books. Um, I did. But I was going to say that it's her fault because she was the one that imposed the limit. So I did, yes, because I wanted... <laughs> many of us to be able to participate and I knew that <laughs> if I didn't impose a limit this episode would be like 10 hours long and maybe that's what we should give the people what they want and what would be <laughs> wrong with a 10 hour long episode all about romance I would like to know I, I mean if it's wrong I don't ever <laughs> want to be right no <laughs> <laughs> so the way that I went about choosing my books was basically like because I have a giant mood brain and so the thing I feel like reading now may not be the thing, the thing I feel like reading in the future until like later on. And so um, I decided to go with kind of like the nostalgia feel and the books that I thought were really romantic. My dog is snoring in the background. So clearly she is very intrigued <laughs> um, or bored. <laughs> so, so my first book that I'm going to talk about is a historical and shocker. We know we know that I don't read a lot of historicals, um, but this one is. It takes place during the Tang T- Dynasty in China, which is not really a setting that we see very much of um, in 
in historical romances. So I'm going to talk about The Sword Dancer by Jeannie Lynn. And it is a part of a series. And um, oh my gosh, Jeannie Lynn is one of the most underrated authors, in my opinion. Um, she is so fabulous. And I just don't think that she gets that she gets her flowers like she should. So this book is about a very kick-ass woman who is, um, she is a thief, basically. And she is doing all the cool things. She is trying to find out more about herself and the mysteries surrounding her family. And it's entitled The Sword Dancer because she is very good with swords. There is a lot of, like, she, she, is, she is like an assassin. <laughs> like, she moves silently. There's lots of fighting on rooftops and, like, climbing up walls and basically all kinds of cool things. Um, and so she is, she is out here saving people and she's also stealing. And then we have the male protagonist. The male protagonist is a thief catcher. So this very much has enemies to lovers vibes, I would say. Um, and he thinks very black and white, you know, this is wrong. There's no reason you should do this. It's wrong, 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 wrong. And they team up and they have to solve a mystery. And when I tell you that this book has equal parts romance and adventure, and like if you've ever seen the movie Romancing the Stone, like I always felt like that had lots of romance and lots of adventure. So that by the time it ended, I had my fill of both and I felt really satisfied. This is a book that is very much the same way. And oh my gosh, just so much adventure. It makes you wonder if this man is supposed to bring her in, how are they going to get there happily ever after? Well, Jeannie Lynn is a phenomenal, a phenomenal writer. And I hope that you will read this book because it is one of my favorites and it is so, so good. The second book that I am going to talk about is called Heart of Darkness by Lauren, by Lauren Dane. And oh my gosh, this freaking book. <clears throat> what do you think are my favorite things when it comes to like paranormal romance? Can anybody take a guess at what my favorite like character type is like species wise shifter wolves i mean you're definitely right but but there's one that goes even above that which is witches <gasps> oh i was gonna say vampires i was thinking of uh rowan from goddess yes. of blade yes <laughs> also vampires so witches are and this is my hot take, witches are the most underappreciated in, in like, in my opinion, in when it comes to paranormal romance, I want more, I can never have too many witches. I want witches. I want witches in the West. I want witches in space. Give me the witches. <laughs> so um, this is a story about Muriel and Dominic. Muriel is an attorney 
for her witch's clan called Clan Owen. And this is the first book in a series. Um, and Dominic is, he's basically like operating a club um, kind of illegally. He's like illegally tapping into like ley lines, I think is how it starts out. And so they meet and they are also kind of enemies to lovers. I'd say more like frenemies, frenemies to lovers. <laughs> um, and she goes to confront him and they have sex on his desk. So, <laughs> um, so it is so sexy. And there is, there is someone that is like stealing energy and dealing and doing a lot of really terrible damage. This book came out in 2013 and it really shows like how this, this group has to come together. There's found family vibes. There's, there's adventure, there's action. It is very, very sexy. And again, the adventure and the romance are intertwined and we get a huge, huge helping of both. Both of these characters are strong-willed and strong characters in general. I will say um, this book did come out in 2013 and it does deal with racism um, as it pertains to different species. And a lot of it is uh was very like uh I, I would say like like the main villain his his motives are very much like politically motivated and um it was very interesting that this book came out in 2013 um because i it, it was just interesting because i felt like i was kind of reading sort of how things would play out in the future so if you don't want to read about that, um, I I completely understand. There it there, um, are are definitely some very xenophobic and racist people in this book um, that are not our main protagonists or anyone or any of their friends. Um, but it is the book is skillfully done, overarching plot line that goes. Um, that goes to the next books in the series that focuses on different couples. Lauren Dane is my queen. Oh, I <laughs> and, love her. And her books, the, this book is so steamy, such great banter and wonderful world building and magic. I just feel like you can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong. And so again, that book is Heart of Darkness by Lauren Dane. Remember that like triad, like witches triad series mm-hmm. that she has that I think now is like out of print and gone away forever. Sad face. I know. <laughs> so my first book tonight is Keep This Promise, Rose Canyon, book three by Corinne Michaels. And It can be read as a standalone, though you do see characters from the first two um, books in the series. Um, But this book by itself is a great story. This particular uh, installment in the series is about Holden James and Sophie Pearson. Holden is a surgeon in Rose Canyon, and Sophie is from England and the way that these two 
are connected is about three years before this book takes place, Holden and some of his friends um, went to Vegas and had some crazy living for a week. And he got really messed up one night and had a one-night stand, and there you have it. Um, and they parted ways and never thought to see each other again. But now, Holden is back in Rose Canyon, and he is helping some friends of his get a new organization up off the ground. And... In walks this beautiful girl, and she is British, and she says she is looking for Holden James, and he kind of recognizes her, but he can't place her and can't recall a name or anything, and so he starts talking to her, and all she can tell him is that... Um, they met three years ago in Vegas, and she has been sent to him, um, ultimately for protection, but she doesn't know from what. Her husband, before he passed away from a heart defect, uh, told her that she had to take her three-year-old daughter and get out of the UK and not come back. And she's very confused by this. She doesn't know what's going on or what she's running from. But she did as he said. And a wild goose chase later, she is now in Rose Canyon with Holden. And Holden is very confused. But he vows to do whatever he can to help her and to protect her and her daughter from whatever may be after them. And... He ends up having to do just that, along with um, his very close friends and some help from um, uh, some other friends that Corinne Michaels writes about in another series. All of her series intertwine and are very, very good. So this also becomes a very beautiful love story between Holden and Sophie. Um, you know, when they had their fling in Vegas, they never thought to see each other again. He didn't know that she had a child, and since she didn't know his name or anything like that, she didn't have a way to find him. But the way he takes to protecting her and taking care of her and her little girl is just really sweet. He was always the one that didn't want to settle down and didn't want to have kids, but when these two ladies walk into his life, he just has a change of heart and really takes to fatherhood and um, falls in love with Sophie pretty quickly. And it's just a really sweet, sweet love story. Um, so this again is Keep This Promise, Rose Canyon, number three by Corinne Michaels. My second book this evening is The Present, Mallory Anderson series, book six by Joanna Lindsay. And this is one of my all-time favorite 
love stories. It um, is about a very, very big, loving, boisterous family in London. Um, and this particular book actually coming in the middle of the series takes us back to the kind of beginnings of this big lovely family the Mallory um the Mallory family and this family has all gathered for Christmas at one of the family houses and this mysterious present shows up in the sitting room and they just cannot bear to wait until Christmas to open it. So they end up opening it early and it turns out to be a journal written by their great-great-grandmother and grandfather telling their love story and how they came to be and how they fell in love and the trials that they went through. And it all kind of brings the whole family together. Some of the cousins and brothers are having little spats and all kinds of stuff. And it, this journal just really brings the whole family together. It brings out some love stories that um, some of the family had suspected, but people were kind of keeping hidden. And it's just a beautiful story of how this big family began. And I've, I found this book in the series to be my favorite of the series because it shows where it all started, how it all started, and just the love that definitely runs through every generation of the Mallory Anderson family. So this book, once again, is called The Present. It is Mallory Anderson series, book six, by Joanna Lindsay. I'm just going to be really honest that this episode was super hard for me to narrow this down to two books that I love because I have so, so many. But I decided to focus on two aspects of romance that I am hoping to see more and more of. I'd like to read more about things that make me happy, like positive disability representation and body positivity. Yay. So both I know. So the books that I chose, um, I really tried to make sure that um, both things dear to my heart were covered. So the first book I'm going to talk about is Better Than People, Garnet Run, book one, by Roan Parrish. And this is the story of Jack, who has moved back home to the small town of Garnet Run. Something kind of distressing happened, but um, it shall not be talked about because it'll give away a big part of the book. And he lives a quiet life in the town of Garnet Run, near to his brother in a cottage. And he has lots of animals, cats and dogs. He loves rescuing strays and taking care of them. So one day he is out with his big pack of dogs and a cat. The cat likes to be walked too. 
and something happens and one of the dogs spooks and going after the dog, he falls and injures his leg very badly. He broke his leg. So he is very concerned because his brother is coming over to help, but his brother owns their family's hardware store and doesn't really, you know, he can't help as much. And his animals, he needs someone to like help walk and feed them. So he turns to this pet app. In the meantime, we have Simon, who also lives in Garnet Run. And Simon really wanted to adopt a dog, but that fell through. And so while he's trying to figure out what he wants to do, he decides that he's going to go on this very same pet app to see if there was anyone who needs help taking care of their animals. He sees Jack's request for help and decides to offer assistance. He also works during the day from home. Now, Simon has struggled for his whole life with a pretty significant diagnosis of anxiety, but it's more like social anxiety. And it's pretty severe to the point where sometimes he can't even get words out. He can't say anything. Sometimes he'll stutter. Sometimes he'll kind of gag. Sometimes he won't be able to say anything. His throat will just lock. But he really, really wants to be around animals and animals really love him. And so he decides that he is going to help Jack. So the first time he gets to Jack's house, it's a little rough. You know, Jack is struggling. The animals are like super excited to see Simon. And Simon really is struggling to communicate at all because he thinks Jack is quite beautiful. Jack also thinks Simon is beautiful. However, neither of them are able to communicate that to the other. So Simon begins coming over and taking care of the animals. And it's quite awkward. I mean, the encounters are like almost painful to read about because Simon is just his social anxiety for him is so debilitating and it's affected so much of his life. But he starts to feel more and more comfortable with Jack. And he starts doing little things to help out around the house. And he starts making Jack some food and he starts just being there. And as they open up to each other and begin to trust, this beautiful relationship starts to build. However, there are challenges. You know, Simon can really only talk around his grandmother. And he, while he would really like to be social, was very bullied as a child and a teenager for his inability to speak to people. And so it's very hard for him to feel comfortable going out in public, going to like restaurants, ordering food, anything like that. And Jack is the opposite. Jack is like gregarious and outgoing. He has a whole like big group of friends. Like he has a pretty fulfilling life. And so it this book is the story of how Simon and Jack learn to value each other's uniqueness and their differences and how they both learn to compromise and build this beautiful relationship. It is also the story of Jack and his brother who have kind of a tense relationship in a way. They both love each other very much, 
Jack's brother, Charlie, took care of Jack after their parents died. And he, um, there's just some dynamics that are kind of awkward and hard to navigate. And, you know, Charlie was thrust into the parent role at like 18 and Jack, Jack really doesn't want Charlie to parent him, but really wants his approval. And it's this beautiful story of these two brothers kind of finding their way back to each other, which I love like development of other characters in the book. Also, if you like Charlie Jack's brother, that is book two, which is also a wonderful book. But this book to me really speaks about so many things, you know, positive disability representation, people who are thrust really far outside their comfort zones, and people really learning how to communicate positively and how to trust each other from very vastly different, who have very vastly different lives and experiences. So this is one of my favorite books I read, and I actually read it like two years ago, and it stuck with me that long because it was such a good book. So I highly recommend that you pick up Better Than People, Garnet Run, book one by Roan Parrish. So when you look at positive disability representation and body positivity, you can't get much better than reading one of Olivia Dade's books. And Olivia Dade is an author that I've said without trying to sound creepy, is somebody I'd love to be friends with and have a coffee because I think she is so cool. And tonight I'm going to talk about Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade. So this is the story of April. And April is, I guess you would call her a plus size woman. And she is into cosplay and she loves making like costumes for herself. And she loves, um, she loves writing fan fiction for this very popular TV show called Gods of the Gate. So she is on this fan fiction site almost every day, and she writes all of these fun, and this is how they refer to them in the book, smutty smut smut books um, and stories about the two, two main characters in this Gods of the Gate show. Well, little does she know, because everybody who writes on the site uses like pseudonyms or pen names, as you will, if you will. Um, she is unaware that the person that she's very good friends with online, who she's been communicating with for a couple of years, is actually the actor who plays the main character on the Gods of the Gate TV show. And his name is Marcus but not on the fan fiction site. And Marcus is struggling with a lot of his own demons. So Marcus really doesn't like how the show is portraying this character. The character is based on, well, the whole show is based on a series of books and the showrunners are not doing a very good job sticking to the, sticking to the story in the book, they're not doing a very good job with the character development. And Marcus is really upset about it, but he can't be outspoken because he is has signed a contract. Like he can't badmouth the show, obviously. So he came up with a pen name and he too writes these fan fiction stories on this um, fan fiction site. However, Marcus in person plays a role. So Marcus comes across as a very kind of flighty, shallow, vain, 
smiley golden retriever type of person, very vapid, which is actually so far from his actual character in real life that it's laughable. Marcus has dyslexia. And when he was younger, he came up with this persona so nobody would make him read anything in public because he doesn't want anyone to know. He's very private and secret, secretive about his diagnosis. So let's go back to April and her cosplay and her making of costumes. So she makes herself this really beautiful costume and she takes pictures of herself and posts them on her Instagram. Well, they go viral. And some people are horrible, like horribly, horribly mean and say awful stuff about her body and her looks because she doesn't meet society's view of what beauty should be. But Marcus thinks she looks great and not knowing that he's talking to his friend who he's very close to online, he comments and says, you're beautiful. Would you like to go to dinner with me? And he does that because he's mad at how mean people are being to her. So they go to dinner and he figures out pretty quickly that April is his friend from online, but she doesn't know. And so a lot of the book is as Marcus, the actor who plays a role that he doesn't really want April to think of him as, and April become friends and get closer and closer Um, he doesn't want her to know that he knows who she is because he's worried that he will lose like the dearest friend that he has. Again, this is like a beautiful story about coming to terms with your diagnosis, coming to terms with the fact that your body is not the body that society thinks you should have and loving yourself anyway. It's dealing with horrible terrible parents who judge you for your dyslexia, who judge you for your size. And it's learning how to love somebody regardless of how society thinks you should have a relationship or who they think you should have that relationship with. This is one of my very favorite books I've read in a really long time. Actually, Everything by Olivia Dade is magical and I love her so much. But I would probably start with this one, Spoiler Alert, by Olivia Dade. I have two books that I would like to discuss. The first book is The Christmas Wedding by James Patterson. Usually we don't see many romances with senior citizens, In this story, James Patterson and his co-writer, Richard DeLillo, they tell the story of a woman and the three men that are trying to win her heart and her hand in marriage, which they decide that they will plan a wedding and have a date and she will pick her husband on that day. And during the story, we also follow the family and we follow 
how they are accepting all of this and and of course there's some grumpy teenagers in there that you know think weddings are lame and things that teenagers think <laughs> so the day of the wedding the three men wait at the altar and then she comes down the aisle and it's a very beautiful wedding from the descriptions and then she picks each man by kissing them on the cheek and saying love you and then she walks to the third man and just they embrace and she cries and she announces that this is who she was accepting and they get married. I just found this very funny and yet kind of touching because, like I said, we don't see a lot of older women and men in romances. They're either married or or divorced or you never see that this woman has three men to choose from. The next book that I really, really read a lot of um, as a as a wedding or romantic book is called Fine Things by Danielle Steele. This is a very old book, I'm thinking. I can't remember the year. However, in Fine Things, we have Bernie. He's single, and and he is looking for someone to spend his life with, yet he's having trouble until he runs into Elizabeth and they meet and they begin to date. She has a child, Janie, from a previous marriage. So they meet and fall in love and become married. Elizabeth dies of cancer, leaving Janie and their son to be with Bernie. Well, Bernie is still grieving, and so is the daughter. So they go and see a pediatrician, and during the whole story of their grieving, things like that, they become involved meaning the pediatrician and Bernie. Janie is kidnapped by her biological father, and then they are are killed later, the bio, bio father and his girlfriend. So it's kind of a slow book 
because I believe it was written in the 80s or the 70s, but I really enjoyed the development of the characters and the relationships. And the wedding was nice, a nice centerpiece, but it wasn't a huge centerpiece. You know, like some books, all they do is talk about the wedding and how we're going to plan it. So, that's Fine Things by Danielle Steele. So, before I start, I need to say that choosing two romances to talk about has been the hardest thing I have ever had to do. To the point where I eventually had to tell myself, well, this is not the end-all, be-end-all. There can be plenty of groups of two romances. We can do, you know, Valentine's Day happens every year, right? And there's plenty of romance to go around. But I guess I want to talk about what's off the top of my head first. And because I do a lot of comfort romance rereading. But also something maybe that I haven't talked about. So the first book I want to talk about is Where Dreams Begin by Lisa Kleypas. And yes, I talk about Lisa Kleypas a lot because I feel that all of her romance novels in one way or another have touched me very deeply. I always finish them and think, ah, to be loved like that. (laughs) So Where Dreams Begin is a book that I read while I was still living in Boston and I was flying home to Miami to visit my family, funnily enough, for Valentine's Day weekend. So this book is about holly taylor and lady holly taylor is a widow and she is a widow of a man that she loved very much and who loved her very much but was killed when he became sick i believe it was fever or typhoid fever some or maybe was it scarlet fever one of the fevers that happened in the 19th century england and so now she is a widow and she is kind of allowed to go back into society she also has a daughter who's mm, i think a young toddler and she goes to a party the first one i think ever since she became a widow and well she meets a man who grabs her and just kisses her you got it plants one on her like like he knows her or something (laughs) and surprisingly she really likes it and it's uh super super passionate for both of them now this man is called zachary bronson who has built an empire of wealth and power although in the ton wealth doesn't matter as much as social status so you could basically be a poor as dirt duke and your worth is more than a really rich rogue like zachary bronson but zachary wants to secure a wife to make his position in the ton higher but he won't just settle for any woman and so when he meets holly taylor he decides that that's gonna be the woman and Holly has spent her whole life playing by society's rules, regardless of how she feels. 
And when Zach Bronson offers her to move into his house and teach him how to be more cultured in society, she is willing to risk everything to ensure her financial security and not only hers, but her daughter's because she is kind of tired of having lived at the mercy of her in-laws as a, you know, as a widow at the time. So I really can't explain just how much I love this book. But one of the main reasons I'm talking about it today is because a lot of romance novels where we read that the heroine has been married before, at least that were published in this time period, like the 90s, 80s. This was published in 2000, so a little later. But the romance novels I tend to favor, if there was a previous marriage, there was always some kind of defect or always some something wrong with the previous marriage whether it was divorce whether there were problems before the spouse died something like that well in this book holly taylor and her previous husband or her late husband is the right word were very very in love with each other and they had this little girl that they have in love and that never changed the man just passed away so i really enjoyed you know the real realism of how even though this is in a historical period how somebody would move on from a very happy marriage to try and figure out not only who they are after that but how they're going to live especially as a woman in a society that really isn't made for anything past marriage or any other option that isn't either marriage spinsterhood widowhood or, you know, basically being at the mercy of relatives that want to take you in and not having any financial security or control over your own things. And also, you know, the choice between what's societally correct and what you actually want out of life and is it worth it. So this is Where Dreams Begin by Lisa Klepus. And it is a standalone. So if you have not picked it up just yet, Please do. It'll definitely make your Valentine. So in honor of this weekend's upcoming Super Bowl, and because I rather enjoy sports romances, why not talk about my very, very favorite one, which is It Had to Be You by Susan Elizabeth Phillips, Chicago Stars Book One. Now, this book was published in 1994 when I was two years old. I believe I read it when I was about, I don't know, 16 and loved it. And really, it has withstood the test of time for me. Although there are a lot of things that uh, happen in this book and a lot of terminology that is used in this book that is probably no longer acceptable, which is the right thing. But somehow, even though this book contains a lot of unacceptable, I guess, uh, derogatory terms against women, I feel that it is quite empowering to women or it makes me feel that way when I read it and it's about Phoebe Somerville who is back home in Chicago for her father's funeral now her father he has been a terrible father he has given her a miserable childhood she is one of two daughters that he had with two different women and he didn't really care for having daughters and was just terrible all around but the one i guess good thing you could say he did was that he was not only rich but the owner of a very famous chicago football team called the chicago stars there was one point in time in real life where 
one family could own a football team, although I believe that we are no longer at that point in 2023. I don't believe that there is one football team left that's owned by one single family, like in our story. So unbeknownst to Phoebe, when our story starts, she is obliged to stay for the reading of her father's will. And supposing that she's not going to get a thing, but she's going to do the thing right and complete her what she feels obligation to her father. However, she does receive an inheritance, which is the football team of the Chicago Stars, except her father had a very sadistic streak. And his condition is that she can keep the team if she leads them to the game right before the Super Bowl and they win. And if they lose, her team will go back to her cousin, who was supposed to be the original inheritor of it. Now, it's quite obvious that when Bert Somerville, Phoebe's father, made this will, he kind of just wanted to get the last laugh on his daughter because he wasn't in agreement with some of the life decisions she was making at all. And Phoebe kind of refuses to play this game with her father. Her father's already dead, and there's nothing he can really do. So she... Just continues her life, doesn't really care about the team, lets the team run itself, does nothing to run it. But in walks Dan Calebo, who is the coach of the Chicago Stars after a long, successful career in his own right, and who has worked really hard to try to push this team forward, getting better players and just working extra to try to bring this team to a competitive level. And Phoebe is getting in the way of his plans because she's the owner and she's the only one that has any kind of power to do anything. And she's not doing anything. So Dan tracks her down and convinces her to do something about her team and to try to make it successful. Except, will the team win? Will she get to keep it? And how will a woman who knows absolutely nothing, not only about football, but about sports, manage to create this very soon to failing team into a successful team? So this is It Had to Be You, Chicago Stars, book one. So this concludes our Valentine's episode, what I like to call a romance roundup, Valentine's edition. Thanks goes out to all of the Beastresses who participated tonight. And of course, thanks goes out to Christine for all of her fantastic editing. And I say it so often, but we wouldn't have a podcast if people didn't find us amusing or insightful or informative. So thank you so much to all of you who join us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access this show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.